Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the first ever Friday edition of the Daily Friends show. This will uh, hopefully become a regular feature of the show now. Um, and I'm joined on this illustrious, momentous, grandiose occasion by Mr. Michael Morris. Michael, how are you? Very flattered to be, um, be an inaugural guest. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> fine, thank you. Um, I think a, a refrain of the past uh, couple of months has been, uh, you know, cold, but fine. But it really has been astonishingly chilly. Um, but yeah, never been chilly. Very, mm, I, believe, I, I believe so. And also we have Mr. Terence Corrigan. Terence, how are you? Freezing. Absolutely freezing ah. right now. Ah, oh, wonderful. So let us turn our cold analytical gaze upon this opinion <laughs> piece <laughs> written in uh, <laughs> this <laughs> <week> <laughs> it is, by Yonela Diko, who is a former uh, ANC spokesperson in Western Cape. Who And the title of this opinion <clears throat> piece is The DA's Devolution Bill, A Surrender of Its National Governing Dream. Uh, and there's basically two kind of main points in this in this article. The first one is he says that by the DA seeking to expand the provincial powers of the Western Cape government, uh, the DA is pushing for uh, what it calls a sort of uh, this devolution bill, which seeks to place more power over police and trains, among some other things, in the hands of uh, the provincial legislature in the Western Cape. Um, he, he says that this is a, is a sign that the DA has given up on trying to ever govern the country, country nationally and that it's simply retreating into the, its corner where it already has uh, control. He also makes the claim that, and I will quote it here, um, that this is that uh, the DA has always been tone deaf and this very bill could easily be constructed as devolution from a black agenda. He then also goes on to talk about how federalism, in his eyes, is inherently inherently uh, privileges minorities, and he kind of implies racial minorities here, um, as it opens room for them to be able to dictate terms to the majority. So let me start with you, Terence. Um, these two claims, firstly, that the DA has given up on national government now, and the second, that federalism is kind of I guess, in his words, it might be su summarized as inherently anti-black into the South African context. What do you make of those two claims? Well, look, I think first, uh, I think that there actually is a is an important story here because I think that what that um, the bill that that the DA has introduced to the to the Western Cape Legislature. It's an interesting example of trying to use those the, those provincial powers to push the envelope um, and this is something that that uh, the country hasn't really seen much of uh, for the most part provinces have been reduced to a kind of to, to, to a kind of administrative stub, um, uh, uh, a subset I don't actually actually rate the chances of this of this going anywhere um, I remember when KwaZulu Natal tried to uh, introduce its own um, provincial constitution I think that was about 1997 um, or 1996, um, that went to the Constitutional Court for certification. And one of the things they had done was to um, set out the uh, provinces' aspirations and values. And then they also had these sort of these sort of sunrise clauses, 
which would, uh, you know, as and when this, 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 these powers became available, they would they would demand them or push for them, which I think fairly closely mirrors what we, um, or at least you know, the, the echoes of that in the in in, in the in the Western Cape's legislation. Um, the response uh, the response in the Constitutional Court was, I think, a province can't by its own bootstraps pull itself up. So I think that that the prospects of this uh, uh, of this working are not great. On the other hand, I think as a political statement, what it's saying is that the Western Cape does things better. Mm. And um, they are sort of uh, trying to uh, trying to signal to their, uh, uh, to their population <clears throat> that uh, the provincial government is doing everything it can to future-proof them against the depredations of the of, of of the national government. Does this mean it's given up on um, on ruling the country nationally? Uh, you know, I think that 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 there may be an element of this, but perhaps not for the reason that uh, uh, Mr. Deco has in mind. I think it's. Um, I, I, I remember when um, uh, when uh, Musi Maimani departed. There was a lot of talk about how the DA has given up on 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 ruling South Africa, and it was Stephen Friedman who uh, led part of the charge on this. Oh well, they, you know they've given up. They're just focusing on their you know as you say in brackets white uh, uh, supporters. Um, I don't think that any that 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 going into the future any any party can expect a majority. I think that's simply uh, uh, that's simply now reality. Um, and I think that that they may also have um, have looked have, have looked at the way that um, uh, that, that that things stand and concluded that perhaps next year is not the um, uh, is not the year of the great uh, of the great transfer. But whatever, um, they would like to do what they have with with the powers they have and have more powers to do those things. Um, I did find. Yes. They'd also want to set a precedent for Gauteng and KZN, which are provinces that they're more likely to be involved in the government of. Uh, Correct. Yes. After the next election. Yeah. Look, you know, I also think that 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 that, that there's something else, um, uh, uh, something else worth uh, worth speaking about. It's interesting that uh, Mr. Mr. Deco refers to the black agenda and seems to imply that this is this is actually the um, uh, the uh the governing philosophy of the uh of the national government which you know says something for a party that's nominally committed to 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 to, to non-racism and one could ask you know would um uh would members of racial minorities be be comfortable with that with um a, a, an agenda that is explicitly cast in those terms and i'm simply following his own train his own train of logic um as to whether uh you know federalism is favored by minorities uh, no, uh, uh, federalism is a uh, is a territorial expression, and uh, you know, just just given um, uh, given his own party's set of um, uh, set of friends, he might um, uh, he might well ponder on 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 the fact that uh, that Russia is a federation. In fact, that's the same. The Russian Federation uh, is this because. Is this because Mr. Putin feels that he is a he is a minority and needs protection from the rest of the I don't know. I, I don't think Mr. Mr. Dika would, would would make that argument, but you know, uh simply one one simply follows it to its end. So uh he does uh, just on the, the Musi Maimane claim, he does very explicitly say that uh, quote Musi Maimane was the only black leader of the party to truly give them a strong national profile and reason to dream dreams. I, I am a little bit annoyed by the sort of the way there are some figures in the media, and I, I may be being unfair to Mr. Duco here, um, but I suspect I'm not, is that uh, Musi, once he left the DA, suddenly became a lot 
a lot more admirable uh, as as a national leader. But that aside, yeah. Um, he, he goes on to say the union buildings were in sight. The elusive the elusive black vote was now within reach. I mean that's not really true. Uh, it's very difficult to tell these things, but it's very possible that in 2019, when Musa Oman led the party through a national election, that uh, the party got fewer black votes than it did under Helen Ziller. Now, that's contentious, you could say that, but it wasn't like hugely away, a big difference from what the TA had usually achieved. So that 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 uh, thesis is, I think, fairly broken. But um, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a very big fan of federalism. And so this idea that federalism is some sort of scheme by uh, minorities to 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 undermine the, the the great and glorious agenda of uplifting everyone and hoard their wealth like a dragon in a cave is it kind of always annoys me so firstly as you say you know if there was uh, more federalism in south africa it would not be along ethnic lines it would be along provincial lines and those are not the same thing um mm. but uh, more than that the idea of federalism is and he sort of explained it backwards he says that it's a for a minority imposing their will on a majority no it's more a protection for minorities from having their will imposed, the will of a majority imposed on them, or uh, not necessarily a majority, but a central force, a central government. You, it allows more accountable government and more direct policy making, where you can make policy specifically tailored to the set of circumstances in which, wherever you live, uh, whatever unit, you know, in this case a province, um, and and. Uh, Pumalanga is a different place from the Western Cape, is a different place from the Eastern Cape, is a different place from Northwest. There's a lot of diversity in this country. We used to celebrate it until the sort of racial nationalists got their claws into our into our discussion of, of how we talk mm. about things in this country. And, um, and I don't just mean that on racial grounds. I mean, we have a lot of diversity in terms of the way people live, the languages people speak, the professions people have, the industries people are involved in. And federalism to me seems like an excellent way to have the expression of different sets of priorities and different ways of doing things while still keeping the country together as a uh, broadly uh, together force that acts together on the world stage that trades with other countries. But um, Michael, what do you make of this whole piece? This is one of those uh, opinion pieces that really always gets me annoyed because firstly, a lot of a lot of it is is just all arguments we've heard before, just kind of recycled <clears throat> again. Um, but also the the sort of casual equation. I mean, this this phrase, uh, the black uh, a black agenda. What is a black agenda? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it is extraordinary. I, I agree with a lot of the points that you've you've both made, um, and perhaps especially worth reinforcing Terence's point that that the, the difference between federalism and, and nationalism in, in, this, in the context of federalism is actually a territorial one, not, not one about minorities or, or, or categories of political sentiment. It's really a, a, geographical, uh, a geographical context. Um, and on that front, I was just trying to look for the, the Center for Risk Analysis uh, report on the, on the provinces, but on, on that um, argument it is the, the the argument that this is somehow going against some kind of black interest is simply wrong on the facts. If you look at um, the Western Cape, say compared to Limpopo or KwaZulu Natal, um, and uh, you know some of the obvious measures, and I, I, I just in, in the in these few moments I, I wasn't able to find it, which is a pity. But if you have a few key measures would would include, for instance, um, the rate of, of unemployment in the Western Cape is is the lowest of the country. That is a very, very significant 
Philip to everybody in the society, but especially the majority who would happen to be people who are not white. So you know, it, it's just completely, it's just completely wrong to think um, that you know some kind of regional uh, achievement or regional success is is automatically going to benefit um, you know some political or racial minorities. Just it's, it is just plain wrong. So unemployment is one. Um, I think uh, flush toilets is another, housing, um, they're kind of various things, key sort of measures. It, the state of education, I think the number of of, um, of bachelor's passes in the Western Cape is certainly perhaps as Gauteng, uh, the, the highest in the country. I can't remember them, and I, it's a pity to say that I haven't managed to get my hands on those figures, but um, it's worth looking at it, and, and yeah. So he's just plain wrong on that. I thought the other thing that was really quite ironic in a way is that he, he it's quite it seems quite a clever thing, clever argument for him to put out there, you know, to hammer the DA. Ah, look, they, you know, they're not really interested in, in a national fight. They're they're retreating to, uh, you know, the, 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 the enclave in the Western Cape. It kind of looks cleverish, but then, you know, what he says. <laughs> Even the way he puts it, it, it just seems a very strange thing for uh, somebody who's, you know, supposedly uh, uh, endorsing the ANC. He says all they want instead, and it actually turns out to be quite a lot, is to devolve state powers. And then he quotes um, the, the DA in order to stem the tide against state failure in South Africa. So you know, he's, he's not doesn't seem to be contesting. <laughs> <laughs> the basic task, <laughs> right? Failure of st you know the state is failing. <laughs> that's that's us, the ANC. Um, so this is all they want is to is to overcome this problem. Um, but the other thing that you know does strike me is that you, you well, there's a, just as strong an argument to say what the what the what the, the the DA is in fact offering national voters is a proposition for all of them. It's not a proposition just for little enclaves it's saying to all voters national voters if you want the country to work better and even in our even with, with should we be in government we would still favor the provinces having greater control than a central state even run by us you know so it's, it's actually an right. argument kind of government which um demonstrably in the case of the western cape is better for people all people um and you know it it is you could say it's an, it's a national offering but yeah so i think it it's kind of reinforces the fitnesses of the anc and it's really just a false argument um no that's exactly right federalism yeah. is is uh, i i do agree that if federalism is only for thee and not for me then it's a problem but I don't think yeah. that that's the case here. Yeah. And it, you know, they, they, it's only that they have a majority in the Western Cape that they're able to move forward legislatively with this. Yeah. I'm sure if they had the same role in other provinces, they would be also mm. push for it. Um, personally, I'd be in favor of making this more explicit in the constitution uh, that our provinces mm. are actual things rather than just these kind of weird administrative divisions mm. that are uh, sort of arbitrary. Uh, but this is completely counter to the way the ANC views the world, and this is where we see a true ideological difference. The DA yeah, well, and IFP and some other parties like to decentralize, and the ANC, they've even talked about getting rid of provinces in their entirety. Uh, Terrence, look, they've, they've had, um, uh, the ANC has been, has been hostile to the idea of federation <laughs> since the 1980s. Um, I remember uh, you know, reading sort of underground pub pub publications at the time, this was a major issue they had with the Progressive Federal Party, that uh, you know the 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 
the governance framework was uh, you know was was going to be you know, was going to uh, secure apartheid by other means. Uh, in fact, I, I do remember that there was a there was a slogan and it was used the basis for petitions. One man, one okay, you know, gendered language. One man, one vote in a unitary South Africa. Now this was kind of you know it's a bit of sleight of hand. You mean unitary as in no homelands? Or do you mean unitary as in no right. uh, no regional divisions? And I think it was a bit of both. Um, in fact, I think Kota uh, uh, Osmal um, uh, wrote a book that got a lot of a lot of traction in the um, uh, in, in nineteen ninety six. Um, you know, a lot of it you know attacked various opposite various uh, non ANC groups for you know their various sins. And and one of them and one of the points he made at one point, if, I, if memory serves, was about federalism. Now, fed, he said, federalism can, of course, mean the devolution, but in the South African context, it's really just a means to, you know, as you say, hoard wealth like a, you know, like smog in the cave. Um, but yeah, look, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm fairly agnostic about about the, about the merits of of federalism. I do have a like de like devolution. And um, that's also something that uh, uh, that that the ANC, in certain key key respects, has refused to do. Most notably, police uh, policing. And as I understand, South Africa has the largest single police force in the world. I could be wrong there, but it's it's definitely one of them. And yes. I also I also remember at uh, going back to the to the to the early nineties, there was uh, something that had slipped into a into a news report that. Um, when one of the ANC negotiators was quizzed on that, they said, "Do you want the IFP to have its own army?" Yeah. And for that reason, <laughs> uh, we ended up with with a heavily centralized, um, uh, with the heavily centralized organization we have today. Indeed. Uh, if I may go on a tangent, I think I think there is actually a, 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 a toxic kind of federalism which I do think is is not helpful in particular, um, and that is ethnic federalism, which does exist. A country like Ethiopia is a good example of that, where the country has regions that correspond to ethnic groups and are explicitly so. So there's a Oromio region, there's a, a Amhara region, there's a Tigrayan region. Mm. Um, and we saw in the recent civil war that this is not exactly a, a, a recipe for disaster. But that's not what anyone is proposing in South Africa, <clears throat> at least anyone in anywhere close to power. Mm. And I, I think that that this debate about unitary state versus federalism mm. has been a very big one across a lot of Africa. If you look at the history of post-liberation Africa, a lot of the civil wars and conflicts that break out immediately upon independence are exactly on this question. It's a problem that's bedeviled Nigeria, the DRC, Ghana. You can pretty much look at any of these, uh, any African country, and it's always been a bit of a problem. And every single time, pretty much, uh, maybe not so much in Nigeria, but generally speaking, the federalist side has lost. And I think that this has been a contributor to problems in Africa because it's a, it has opened the door for kind of corrupt autocracies to, to, to dominate the, the scene. But that's, that's a bit of a tangent. Um, Michael, any mm. final thing to add before we move on? Mm. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, that's, that's a very important point to have made. And, and if you think of South Africa, I mean, I, I can't really see the evidence of any sort of regional uh, kernel of conflict being part of our uh, Political debate. I, you know, I can't really see that. I know there's the, the, the Cape exit people, the independence for the Cape, but I, you know, I, I don't think um, the, uh, the most ordinary Cape 
people really uh, are madly keen on this idea of a complete separation. I think what what drives a lot of them is is the idea that federalism, more federalism would be a good thing or more devolution of powers. Um, but I can't really see them wanting to be a, in a separate country. You know, I, I don't think I, I don't think there's any part of South Africa that or part of the South African society that really feels that strongly about not being South African. I think we all, for the most part, 90% perhaps, um, have a sense of South Africanness. Uh, which incorporates a lot of things that are that are quite foreign to us individually, perhaps, um, and, and maybe is a little bit hostile to what to what, who we are or who we think we are. But it's worth also pointing out that uh, federalism can diffuse those sentiments. Mm. They do exist mm. and they do come up yeah. um, because they do yeah. give people the feeling like they're not tied to something that they have no control over. Um, okay, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, let's talk about ESCOM because it is a constant burden on all of our lives. Uh, and there's some good news from ESCOM. Um, let me start with the sort of slightly worse news, uh, which is that the happy talk around ESCOM has completely evaporated. Uh, just recently, the electricity minister was going on about how, you know, we were so close to to really turning this thing around. And now government uh, <laughs> exhibitions are giving it discussions about how you know, ESCOM doesn't think the worst case scenario is going to happen, but we are prepared for it. Uh, during a recent uh, talk by some senior ESCOM officials to, to various stakeholders, they talked about how they thought that even though Kuburg is probably going to be completely offline, that the Western Cape could still hold on um, uh, and, and, won't, and won't be plunged into a regional blackout. Uh, they talked a little bit about how they run a lot of drills um, to deal with the constrained system and that ESCOM is actually very skilled at managing a constrained system because they've been doing it for so long. Uh, but also that there are some concerns that if there was a national blackout, ESCOM hasn't really, uh, might be caught a little bit flat-footed because they have no experience of basically restarting all the power plants from scratch. Now, they gave the very rosy assessment that if there was a national grid blackout, it would take 14 to 6 to 14 days to restart the grid. But uh, I'm a little bit skeptical of that. These things usually don't go according to plan. They also said that they, they thought the only thing that might trigger a national blackout would be a natural disaster, uh, network disturbances, multiple simultaneous plant breakdowns, human error. So all the things we currently worry about. Um, anyway, it just was interesting to me that the, that the, <laughs> the happy talk has disappeared and we're back to talking about total blackouts again. Um, but the good news is that there have been quite a few people arrested for <clears throat> messing with ESCOM uh, in various ways. So uh, since it, a, a big investigation into theft and corruption and all that nonsense at ESCOM uh, started on the 1st of April 2022, uh, there have been 126 arrests made. There are currently 1,500 cases under investigation, which, and these are mostly small fries, so I think it gives you an indication of how massive the problem is. But some of the things recovered from the people arrested in connection with theft from ESCOM are 42 firearms, 83 loads of coal, and 33 trucks totaling more than 1 billion rand that were recovered uh, in this in this sweep. Um, one of the incidents also involved a truck driver and an ESCOM employee who were arrested for stealing fuel worth 1 million rand, heavy fuel, which is apparently used in the power plants. Uh, uh, the, one of the um, people uh, accused of this 1 million rand theft is a 41-year-old 
uh, truck driver called Loveless Mabaso. And I wonder if being so loveless forced her into a life of crime. But anyway, <laughs> just being mean. Um, Michael, what do you make of this? What do you make of the state of ESCOM currently? Uh, we kind of, the status quo seems to sort of just go on at the moment, I guess. Mm. I mean, the, the the conception of of, of ESCOM is is as you know uh, uh, being reasonably confident that it can manage because it has been managing with um, things being so long is going wrong for, for for such a long time. Um, reminds me of a, a story that I, I I get my my family's eyes roll when I begin to mention it. They know exactly what's coming, but it's a a funny little thing remark about a a British Army officer who said that he was a good man in a crisis. And his handling of every situation gave him ample opportunity to display this talent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one, one has a sense that, you know, ESCOM perhaps is a bit like this. So they, they've become very adept at managing the crisis that they, you know, are kind of perpetuating. Uh, and I don't think that's true of everybody in ESCOM, but nevertheless. Um, so, yeah, there the, some lights at the end of the tunnel in a sense with the uh, these arrests and these extraordinary things that are recovered. Um, heaps of coal and firearms and trucks. Goodness me, it's um, it's quite amazing, uh, and a million rands worth of um, of fuel. But I suppose that I mean, the, really, the bigger worry would be uh, on on a slightly broader scale. The the, 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 and the comments that have been made just recently on the first anniversary of the Zondo Commission report um, that not enough has been done. That you know, there have been no major arrests, been made, no major sort of movement on on the on the mega um uh, on the sort of mega level the mega scale of corruption in south africa and i think that until that begins to happen um it's it, it's very good to be going for the what i think what i'm pretty sure the, of the small fry but the, the 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 network the patronage network the criminal networks the, the mafias and so on i think that's going to remain um probably quite impenetrable quite difficult to get at until some really um, serious arrests and some really serious investigations are launched there. Um, so who knows? I mean, we, we can only have. Uh, as for as for managing, um, we, we have to trust them that, that you know that, that, that they say things are very serious, but they they have a plan. Um, we we become used to it, I suppose. So we we kind of trust that there's a plan, and somehow we're going to muddle through as we tend to in South Africa. I don't know if I can say anything more intelligent about it than that, which is not. No, that's, that's pretty much my thought. I, I actually think that the longer load shedding goes on, and the more the private sector steps in to sort of make alternative arrangements, the better prepared we actually are for a national blackout. If it had happened five years ago, York would be in trouble we'd be in big trouble. But I think now there's so many redundant systems that actually the impact would be not as terrible as it could be. I think that's true. I mean, just to add very briefly, there's something I should have mentioned maybe is, is, is exactly that aspect of the private sector that the it's almost the emphasis of power provision and power solutions and thinking about how we're going to cope in the future has shifted away from worrying about whether we can still continue to depend on the state. And is rather focusing now on what we get to spend to find our own solutions in the private sector. Um, Terence, your thoughts. You know, you know, this is this is obviously fairly low grade stuff. But as you say, you just you just look at the numbers. This is a far cry from you know when you know, someone got caught stealing a box of big pens. I know. No, but yeah, look, you know, get. It, yeah, 
this this example that I've you know I've 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 used in private a couple of times that uh, you know Aristotle couldn't program a computer because you know no matter how brilliant someone may be you know there's like intermediate steps you got to understand the the technology to, that they produce the technology to, you know to get there and I think mm. the problem with the, the the problem with dealing with the state of crisis we have is that so many of those intermediate steps are there yes you know you need the police to go and investigate but uh, you know. Are the police the are the police the solution or the problem? So yeah, you know, tough times still, still are coming. Yeah, indeed, uh, load shedding is, despite some of the happy talk, not quite being uh, solved yet. And I, and until there are actual yeah. real changes, it's not going to be solved. But um, yeah, I think. Might as well call it there. Uh, we our last story. We we're going to talk a little bit about, I guess, the the private sector. There was this uh, Bloomberg piece, which uh, just goes through the list of things that the private sector has been doing, and how much a lot of this effort actually keeps South Africa afloat. They talked about um, a guy called Joshua Redeba, who is an employee of the Discovery Pothole Patrol, which is essentially a private company filling potholes, particularly around Johannesburg. Um, they talk about how Tiger Brands provides the water for the place where its food processing business is, how the major mines essentially run the government around the area of the mines. Uh, in some places you have like the clinics are equipped and staffed essentially by people who are who are who, who have been who've been paid for by the mines, even though it's supposed to be like a government clinic or government service. The developmental um, state at work. Indeed. <laughs> it's sort of the developmental state, but in the back door. And and uh uh, I, I do think this is, you know, there's a sort of question that we do ask, and um, just I'm going to say this before we close up. There's some people who say, you know, how can South Africa keep going on? It's got all these problems, and yet things are never quite catastrophic as they seem like they're going to be. And I think this is a great explainer of the reason why is that there are a lot of people, a lot of organisations, a lot of money and and re and resources in the country that are holding it together. Uh, private security, uh, charity, uh, NGOs, all sorts of groups that are working together very hard to rescue South Africa, despite government's best efforts. And I think that's something important to remember is that South Africa as a sort of society is still um, much stronger than many other comparable countries. And that is one of the reasons why we've been able to hang on. And hopefully one of the reasons why we will recover perhaps faster than anyone uh, uh, suspects. But uh, that's all the time we have for today. Um, so thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, gentlemen, for being on on Friday. And we will see you next week. Have a great weekend. Cheers.